Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. That was such a nice introduction, and uh, wow, what a joy it is to be here. I can tell you the last time I was in this part of this building, there were like dead birds all over the floor. (laughs) So when I walked through this place, I thought, wow, God is a way maker. (laughs) He does miracles. And uh, the building did kind of remind me once again of all of our lives. You know, we come to Jesus with nothing to offer, kind of like this building, Uh, We come to Jesus with nothing to offer, and he slowly rebuilds our life. Amen? How many of you would say, that's true with me? And how many of you would also say with me, he's still rebuilding mine? Amen? So, uh, Pastor Jeff and Stacy, thank you for all all that you do for this church. Thank you for your friendship for Cindy and I. And uh, I just honor you guys and your team today. I went to the bathroom. Uh, This is probably too much information. (laughs) But I went back to the bathroom and I thought, man, they do everything with excellence. I usually check out the bathrooms first to see what the values are of a church. And man, you guys have worked so hard. Your whole team has. So I honor you today. Will you join me in honoring them today? And I also know any project like this, just pastoring a church through COVID and all the stuff we went through, man, it takes a toll on you. So I'm so happy, Pastor Jeff, that you get to go on a sabbatical. Uh, And that starts today, right? Tomorrow, tomorrow. tomorrow. So uh, uh, I believe in sabbaticals. I believe that that we all need times to rest. So I bring greetings from my wife today. She couldn't come. And there's a couple reasons why she couldn't come. Most of all, she she has heard me speak so many times that the main reason she didn't come. Not really, but we have a grand new grandbaby. By the way, we've been married 39 years and our daughter gave us our first grandbaby in December. And I have now proven the fact that it is more precious to be a grandparent than a parent. How many of you would agree? I never believed that to be the case, but man, when Indy June was born, it just has changed my world. And uh, I sometimes, because I work from my home, sometimes I call up my daughter and say, can I just come hug her at lunchtime? And it just kind of makes my day. So really is a joy to be here. I've looked forward to this. And I want you to take your Bibles out, if you will, if you have them. If not, the scripture will be on the screen. We're going to look at Mark, the second chapter. And I'm going to tell a story that is probably familiar with most of you. Now, what I want you to know about this story, I want you to help me with the story. And here's how I want you to help. I want you to picture this because I believe that we think in story. And I believe that when somebody's telling a story, we begin to picture it in our mind. So this is what my challenge for you today. I want you to turn on the motion picture in your mind. And I want you to see this story. I want you to see it played out in the sanctuary today. And I want you to see your part in the story. So let me give you a couple backgrounds of the story. This is Jesus just beginning his ministry. He lived in Capernaum. This was before he was itinerant. We know that we call him a carpenter. He probably actually wasn't a carpenter. He was probably a mason because they didn't build stuff out of wood back then. They did out of mud and rock. 
So he was a mason and he was working and his ministry was just beginning here. And a little point I just want to make that Capernaum is actually a beach resort town. So I just want you to pause and think about that. Pastor Jeff, if Jesus lived in a beach resort town, we can too. Amen. So again, turn on the motion picture in your mind. Jesus is 30 years old. And as we begin to picture this, I want you to think of three words. Number one, I want you to think of the word intercession. Number two, identity. And number three, forgiveness. And when I say forgiveness, I'm not just talking about forgiving someone. I want to talk about wholeness. Because forgiveness is part of wholeness, which is where we get our word holiness. Wholeness. Holiness. So let's read the story, and I'm going to pause several times, and the first word is intercession. See it with me, okay? Everybody crank up that motion picture in your mind. When he came back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. Some translations say that he was in a house. This translation, and most scholars believe, that this is literally where he lived. This was his house. It was heard that after he was gone for a while, he came back home. And that's a key point. This was Jesus' home. And I want you to picture the the home was probably the size of that corner there. And the room was packed. And it continues in verse 2. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them and they, we don't really know who they is, but we'll kind of explore that a little bit. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So we know they is probably a bigger circle of people and four men picked up this paralytic man that was probably likely just outside of the house of Jesus and we'll explore that. And they picked him up. And when they came to the door, uh, verse four, and being unable to get to the door because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. I want you to think about that. Can you see it? So Jesus is talking. He's in his house. And all of a sudden he sees stuff start to fall on the ground. And the Bible says they literally dug an opening. That's because roofs weren't made like our roofs are today. They were thatch and mud that they would put together. And they literally had to dig a hole in the roof to lower this man on a pallet that he was lying. So picture this again. Jesus home. Okay, everybody has it. Let's just pretend that Jesus is right here and there's a small group of people, but they're so, it's small group, but his home was small. So it was packed. There was no room. And he was talking to them the word. And all of a sudden, right above him, it begins to fall. And this body begins to come down in front of him, in front of, and by the way, who was in the home? Scribes and Pharisees. And that's a big point because I want to talk to us a little bit about who's not welcome in the home because people were taking up seats because they were trying to prove Jesus wrong and the one that actually needed help was on the outside looking in. And these four men picked him up and brought him. So an intercessor. What does it mean to be an intercessor? This is a great picture of being an intercessor. For those of you raised in the church, intercessor to us was we pray for people. And certainly, how many of you know we need a lot of prayer today? Man, as a granddad now and as a parent, we pray all the time. Raising this little child in a world that is far different than when I was a child. 
Boy, we need prayer. But intercessory doesn't just mean praying for somebody. It means standing in the gap. It means, for instance, I'm here and Jesus is there and here's the need and I take that need and bring it to Jesus. I'm the intercessor. And of course, that's what Jesus was. Jesus was the intercessor. He brought our need and our need was we were in sin. He brought our need to the Father and and sacrificed himself for our need. He was the intercessor. So what does an intercessor do? Well, an intercessor is, is one, in fact, Jesus said of these intercessors, he saw their faith. He saw their faith. I believe that Jesus sees faith today. You know, my daughter, uh, when she graduated from college, she graduated from Life Pacific College, which is a ministry school, and she moved to Indianapolis, and her degree was in human development and psychology, so she had this big idea that she was going to become a social worker. Now, she's 23 years old, and she gets a job in the city, inner city of Indianapolis. She's 23 years old in a culture, an inner city culture that she had never lived in before, and she takes this job, and Her job was, uh, one of her jobs was to take a child who had been taken away from their parents, most of it because of drug drug use, taken away from her mom or her dad, and her job was to pick up the child and bring them to the parent for a visitation. And so she'd do that every day in her life. And and about a month into it, and she was scared almost every day, and I, I would almost beg her to quit, just quit that job. You don't need to be afraid. But she said, God, God called me to this for this season. Becca, you're 23 years old. You've got to do this all by yourself. You're going into drug houses. You're going into terrible places. Uh, I'm the dad, and I'm telling you, quit the job. And she says, well, Jesus is God, and he's telling me not to. So he won. <clears throat> and, uh, but she met this girl, and I'll not use her real name. I'll call her Ruth. And she met this girl, and, and Ruth had a heroin addiction. And so because of that, she had her child taken away. Well, she was also eight months pregnant with her second child, and she was a user. So the doctors had to put her in the hospital for her last month of carrying this child because of the drug addiction. So Becca every day would pick up her child, who was, I think, about two, and take this two-year-old to Ruth, just so she could see her in the hospital room. And, and she would come in, Ruth would bite her head off. She was annoyed by Becca. And, you know, Becca stood for something that she didn't agree with. And she's coming off of drugs and detoxing. And she was just rude and she was mean to Becca. And she wanted to say, listen, I'm trying to help you. I'm bringing your child to you. And every day she'd do that over and over and over again until finally uh, it came to be that she took another job in Los Angeles and moved to Los Angeles. And, and before uh, Ruth had her baby, uh, she left her. And about a year later, uh, this lady, Ruth, who was a heroin addict, called her up. She had Becca's cell phone number and said, Becca, you wouldn't believe this, but after I had my baby, I just kept on seeing the kindness that you brought to me how you brought my baby to me every single day. And you would pray with me, and I know you weren't supposed to pray with me, but you prayed with me anyway. And I just want you to know, I am off heroin. I've given my life to Jesus. I have my children back, and I have a job. See, intercession, God honors the faith of the intercessors. And in this picture, we see this picture again, this this man that had never walked, laying before Jesus, and, and he sees the faith. 
He says, because of your faith. I see your faith. And so what does the faith of an intercessor look like? Well, it's a compassionate faith. Can I ask you this question? Are you moved by people's brokenness? When we walk the streets of our city, are we moved? Sometimes in church, we isolate ourselves from the need. And God would say to his church today, listen, I've called you to a world that is broken because I love them. I love them. And Jesus saw these men's faith as they lowered this body before. They were moved with compassion because the people that came to trap Jesus that day, they weren't moved with compassion. Hear this. They were moved with religion. They were moved with religion. They were more there for the rules. They were more there to find out what Jesus was doing wrong rather than for the need. This man wasn't welcomed in this home because there wasn't room, because everybody was taking up the seats. And so Jesus is moved by compassion today. And so can I just ask you, even as we leave this place, to picture this in your mind that Jesus is broken over people and he's called us to be the same. He's called us to be the same. This is what I know about our culture. Our culture has taken empathy right out of the culture. And Jesus is saying, come on, let's get back into our hearts. Because the Bible says of Jesus, when he looked at the masses who were broken, he was moved with compassion and he healed the sick. He was moved with compassion. Jesus honored their compassionate faith. He honored their bold faith. He honored their risky faith. If you don't think that this was risky, I dare you tonight. I want you to call, crawl up on Pastor Jeff's roof. No. <laughs> bring your shovel, bring your saw, and cut a hole in his roof. You okay with that, Jeff? I mean, you are going on sabbatical, so you need something to do. <laughs> this risky faith. And I also know this. I've always wondered about this story. So now... Jesus has a hole in his roof. This isn't anybody's house. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords house. Who cleaned up the mess? Who patched the hole? The Bible doesn't tell the story. This is what I know of Jesus. He must have been okay with the mess. And I know this because I've lived with Jesus for a long time. He's still cleaning up my mess. And sometimes we think that, you know, we can't come to Jesus because there's too much of a mess here. No, you're a perfect candidate to come to Jesus. We bring our mess before him because life is messy, amen? I know just viewing this crowd just for a moment, there's pain in this crowd. And it's not because I know individuals, it's because there's pain in every crowd. Every family has some pain. Every person in here has made mistakes. And Jesus is okay if we just bring our mess right before him. He's okay. He's okay. He already knows about it. Why don't we just be honest with it? So intercessors. The second one I want you to think about is identity. I love this verse. Verse 3 says, And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, I want you to hear this, a key word here, said to the paralytic, son, son. Notice he didn't deal with his sin first, nor did he deal with his brokenness first. He dealt with his identity. That's the second word. 
Now, what's so amazing about this is a couple things. Number one, if you study scripture, this is the only place in all of scripture that Jesus called anyone son. He didn't call anybody else son in all of scripture. We know that he talked about the prodigal son, but this is the only place. Why did Jesus only do it here? What was it about this story that Jesus looked at this broken man before him and said, son? Well, if we study Jewish tradition, we know that when you were born a paralytic, the Pharisees and the scribes who were in that crowd that day, their, their theology, which was horrible theology, that if you were born that way, it's because your father sinned. So this man, from the day he was born, was the shame of his father. Think about that. Likely, what would happen to these, they, the, these men like this, they weren't even welcome in the temple. They couldn't go in the temple because they were a picture of the shame of their father. Likely, although we don't know the story, likely he was abandoned. He was orphaned. And now Jesus Christ, standing there in his home, calls him son. Could you imagine how that registered in his mind? Somebody called me son? Somebody claims me? Jesus, don't you know I'm broken? Don't you know I'm the shame of my father? You're calling me son? He spoke into that world of that identity that had been so broken for years and years and years. Who knows what his relationship like was with his dad was like. His dad probably thought because it was a common belief that this was my sin. His dad probably thought every time she saw him, you are my shame. You are my shame. And Jesus didn't deal with his condition first. He dealt with his identity. He said, son. So again, if you could just see the motion picture, this man's laying there. And first of all, he's saying, what is going on? I just got lowered through a roof. And now this man I've never seen before. I've heard of him, but I've never seen him. Now he's calling me son. This likely abandoned, rejected, not welcomed in church, in the temple. Not welcomed. These Pharisees all looked at him with, you know, just this judgment upon him. And now the son of God claims him. The Son of God claims him. What about your identity? What about my identity? Do you know that before you ever came to know the Lord, he loved you? He already claimed you? You know that every person ever born is born in the image of God. And he loves them with an everlasting love. You see, this man needed his identity healed. In fact, that was the most important thing. His infirmity wasn't the most important thing, though important. His sin wasn't the most important thing, but Jesus is going to deal with the sin too. But his identity. Because sometimes before we can walk to Jesus, we need to know how loved and accepted we are. We need to know that he claims us. Someone claimed me. Someone identified with him. Someone wasn't embarrassed or shamed by me. Someone re-identified me by calling me son. The first words out of Jesus' mouth was son. And then he goes on to say, your sins are forgiven you. 
So now this man who has his identity restored, all of a sudden his sins, and, and notice this man in this story never asked him to forgive him of his sins. There's no dialogue like that. Jesus knew he was broken and he healed him. He healed him of his identity first, his sin second, and then it's kind of like it was an afterthought. In fact, look, look at verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? But so that you will know, it's kind of like the healing was the afterthought, so that you will know that uh, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. The third word is forgiveness. So we've looked at intercession. We've looked at identity. And now forgiveness. Why did Jesus tell him to go home? Why did he tell him that? Let's look at these words. He said, first of all, pick up your pallet. Pick up your pallet. Why did he need his pallet? Again, he's lowered. There's a mess on the floor. This pallet he'd been laying on for a long, long time probably stunk, probably was dirty. He was likely homeless. So he's laying on the stinking pallet. And Jesus said, take your pallet too. Why? Why did Jesus say that? Because it's part of his story. It's part of his story. You see, this pallet had carried him for a long time, but now he carries the pallet. And he said, this is once where I lay. This is once the thing that carried me, but I now carry it. But it's still part of his story. Sometimes when we tell our story, we leave out those hard things in our story. We leave out those broken moments in our story, but that's still part of your story. Sometimes when we think, well, God, you've forgiven us, so I just need to forget my past. Listen, it's still your past. It still makes up who you are, and God has forgiven you and healed you and all those kind of things. But all I know is this man, when he was 18 years old, I once was lost, but at 18 years old, I came to know Jesus. I know of this guy. I was addicted to a lot of things. I had some drug problems. I had family problems. I had all kinds of issues. And that day in Moline, Illinois, I gave my life to Jesus. And I love to tell that story. But beforehand, I have to say, my dad abandoned us when I was nine years old. And I didn't want anything to do with God. In fact, I prayed every night that God would bring my dad back. And when he didn't, I said, there must not be a God. So I set out to deny God the rest of my life. And at 15 years old, I had this, this amazing thing happen to me in the presence of God. I was in a church service. Somebody talked me into going to church, and that was the last thing I wanted to do. And back in those days, we would give an altar call for people to come forward and get saved. And the, the evangelist was giving this altar call, and I remember I had to put my hands on the pew so I wouldn't go forward because I didn't want to get saved. Because I thought if I got saved, God would call me to be a preacher and they make no money. <laughs> you really need a sabbatical. <laughs> uh, obviously, God won. But at 15 years old, I said, no. And then from 15 to 18, I got lost in some drugs. 
And at 18 years old, God, God intercepted my life again. And I gave my life to Jesus. Because I had an interceding grandma and an interceding mom. And people that were kind to me that just kept on saying, you're our son. We love you. And they showed me a God that was different than a God I thought. The one who I thought abandoned me. But that's part of my story. I can't leave that out because God is a God of redemption. So pick up your palette. Take it with you. It's your prop. It's your story. Number two, get up and walk. Jesus didn't leave him there. Listen, when Jesus forgives us of our sin, it doesn't end there. He says, now I want to show you how to walk. I want to show you this new life in me. You can't stay there any longer. I know you'd like to stay in my living room, <laughs> but you can't stay there. And probably for him, think about this. This man had laid on that pallet all of his life. Probably for him, he's thinking, now I got to go get a job. Now I have to go do stuff. It was easy here. It was easy here. But Jesus said, no, you can't stay there. Some of you may have come to the point where you've come to Jesus and you've stayed right there. Listen, redemption and salvation is an ongoing work. The Bible says of us that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We need to keep on going in Jesus Christ. We need to move beyond our shame and go to Jesus. Get up and walk. And the last one is this. Go home. Go home. Think about what this meant to the man who is the shame of his father. Think about what this meant to likely this man who was homeless and abandoned by his own home. Could you imagine that day? He's walking down the, up the driveway and his dad looks out the window and says, it's our son. No longer is he a symbol of my shame. He's coming home. And he's walking. He's coming home healed. Jesus sent him home because his dad or others at home likely needed forgiveness. Redemption. And could you imagine the reception when he came in the house and he said, all I know is... Dad, listen, you've lived under the shame of my infirmity, but all I know is I met this man. His name is Jesus. And he claimed me. He called me son, Dad. He called me son. And then he forgave me of my sins. And then, to my shock, he said, get up and walk. So, Dad, listen, I want, I want you to know I forgive you. And the same God that forgave me can now forgive you. Get up. Walk and go home. So I come to a conclusion. I, I remember uh, a couple years ago I was in Echo Park. My office, one of my offices, um, because of my job, was in Los Angeles. So we would live at this apartment uh, when we were there a couple, couple weeks at a time in Echo Park. And, and I remember I said to my wife, she was in the apartment doing laundry and that, and I said, I'm going to go out to the park and I'm going to just read out there. It was a beautiful day. And so I went out there and I was reading and I get this text message from her. You hear that yelling? And I said, no, I don't hear any yelling. And as soon as I text her back, these helicopters just 
kind of almost landed on top of us and was zooming up to where my wife was and police cars everywhere. In fact, I later counted 19 police cars. This is in Los Angeles, so you never know what's going on. So all of a sudden I see the police car, and I was about a mile away, the police cars, the helicopters right above where Cindy was. And I just started running, thinking, she didn't do it. I've been married to her for a long time. <laughs> when I got there, right in front of our apartment, they had pulled over this car and guns aimed at this guy everywhere. Cindy is on the other side. There was a fence, and she was in the apartment, and I could see her over there. And I'm thinking, honey, these guns are like aimed at you. You need to. <laughs> so she realized she went behind a building, and I could see her head popping out. And for 30 minutes, it was a standoff. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, man, I, I want to go protect her, you know, and I was almost ready to do one of these things, ah, you know, <laughs> bust through the police line. They had tape everywhere. I didn't. Uh, by the way, so many people around me were videotaping this. When finally the guy surrendered after 30 minutes, the guy next to me said, wow, that was disappointing. That was just something about our culture today. We learned later, in fact, there was a man that lived in the apartment. He came out just real casually, and they knew that we lived in Iowa. And he came out, and he looked at my wife and said, you're not in Iowa anymore. <laughs> we learned later that this man had just been in a drive-by shooting and killed someone. But I remember that barrier between my wife and I. And I remember thinking, is she okay? Is she safe? And I wanted to get through that police barrier. I didn't. I didn't break through. And as soon as I could go around, I went over to make sure she was okay. She was scared and all those kind of things. But it just reminds me about Jesus. Listen, he wants to break down every barrier to get to us. There's no shadow he won't light up. No wall he won't break down because he's coming after us. And the, the story we see, even still in our mind, was a story about intercessors who cared enough to bring this man to Jesus. Listen, our culture needs more than anything else us bringing people to Jesus. Our political system won't fix it. Our social system won't fix it. Our economic system won't fix it. Jesus is the answer for the world today, amen? So intercession, Jesus restored his identity. And maybe someone in this place here would just say, Jesus, will you heal my identity? Maybe you were abandoned, maybe even as a child. Maybe you've gone through the rejection of divorce or other kinds of rejection. Jesus, will you heal my identity? And then the last one is forgiveness. Who needs your story so they can experience the same forgiveness you have? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this amazing church. God, I thank you for what you're speaking in people's lives right now. God, I pray that you would touch us. God, I pray that you would heal our hearts. God, I pray that we would accept your incredible redemption and love. Even for the one in here that said, well, Jesus, it seems like you abandoned me a long time ago. Where are you today? Jesus would say, I'm here for you. I'm still in your story, and I'm still working. Even if you can't see it, I'm working on your behalf. 
So maybe there's one in here or many, maybe many, who need healing at home, forgiveness for their parents. God, will you touch this congregation in Jesus' name? Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.